right, welcome everyone to the Citizens Guide. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Um, today's show, we've got uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene being removed from her committee assignments by the House of Representatives. Um, recent news that, pres that former President Trump uh, may no longer receive intelligence briefings, uh, the financial impact of former President Trump's lies, and a recent Atlantic article about California's Proposition 22 and what that means for the Democratic Party moving forward. And then finally, we'll wrap up with the recent military coup in Myanmar um, and kind of look at the, the impacts and ramifications of some of these global challenges. But Connor first, our good friend, she's becoming a regular on the show, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, what's going on with her? She was voted um, and the full house to be removed from her committee assignments on the small business committee and the education committee. This comes after a fracture in the Republican caucus over how to rebuild a sort of consensus of what Republicanism is in the house after they had voted to remove Liz Cheney from her leadership role over her vote to impeach Donald Trump. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is is in the the is in the light again because of her previous comments about just the most crazy conspiracy theories, just um, anti-Semitic, racist, um, calling for the execution of Democratic Congress people, um, and just um, I just I don't want to give a lot of air to her 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 theories, um, but they're dangerous. They are, they're deadly um, and she, she has no place to be in Congress, I think, and especially not in any committee assignments. My sort of thoughts on the whole thing is that it's telling that more Republicans voted to remove Liz Cheney from her leadership role than remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments. Um, yeah. I think that's what the story is, is that this is not the, the caucus of of country club Republicans, this is the caucus of conspiracy theorists and and lunatics and anti-Semites and just the whole lot. Um, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah, and I have a list here just for listeners to kind of get a better grasp on it of things that she did not denounce that she has said or interacted with in the last few years. So one was she liked a Facebook post calling for Nancy Pelosi to quote, get a bullet to the head um, and replied to another calling for Barack Obama to be hanged, writing, quote, stage is being set. In 2019, she heckled a teenage survivor of the Parkland school shooting named David Hogg and called him, quote, a coward. She said the 2018 midterm elections ushered in, quote, an Islamic invasion of our government, um, that being with the election of Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, to Congress. In 2018, she suggested the California wildfires were started by a space laser beam which was controlled by the Rothschilds, a prominent Jewish banking company. So that's some weird stuff. It's crazy stuff. Um, she is a promoter and consumer of conspiracies. Um, but yeah, the House voted 230 to 199 to strip her of her two big assignments, education, budget. Um, that's 11, 11 Republicans joining with the entire Democratic caucus to do so. Um, Green tweeted, quote, I woke up early this morning literally laughing, thinking about what a bunch of morons the Democrats plus 11 are for giving someone like me free time. Feels like she already has a lot of free time um, to mm -hmm. do all of this. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then this coming from the BBC, because I think it's interesting to get like a foreign perspective on what's going on with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, they wrote, quote, Republicans warned that sanctioning Marjorie Taylor Greene set a dangerous precedent where the majority party in the chamber could tell the minority how to allocate its committee seats. Democrats countered that the real precedent would be if a member of the chamber made threats against her future colleagues and the House did nothing. Because the Republicans refused to punish one of their own, the majority said they had to step in. And I think that's a notable point because when we saw Representative King from Iowa be stripped of his committee assignments prior to the 2018 midterms, um, it was Republican leadership that did that. It wasn't like a full vote of the House. It was kind of kind of within the within the party structure that that happened. But the Democrats kind of took it upon themselves with Republican support um, to make sure that Marjorie Taylor Greene can do as little damage as possible um, during her hopefully short tenure in the United States Congress. Right, right. And it's, it's all dangerous and it's all very stupid because like, like we said, like, these are conspiracy theories that aren't even just have an ounce of, ounce of validity to them um, and are actually quite dangerous. And you have, you have like House, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy sort of saying this is we're showing that our our caucus is a is a big tent, and I don't think the tent's big enough for for these conspiracy theories. I don't. I just I don't know. I don't know what this looks like for them with this this sort of gamble they're taking, but I guess they are moderating since the president has left office. Just just as self moderating, they they're mm -hmm. they're getting better. They're growing. They're learning. No, mm -hmm. they're just they're driving right into the pit, um, same as they were. For the last four years, um, none of this has has altered. And even when you when you see like Liz Cheney's interview, she was able to keep her leadership position. But she's talking about how how grateful she is so that she can fight the Democratic agenda. And it's like, lady, like take a step back and understand what's happening around you. Like I don't expect her to like vote with Democrats, but like agree where you can in that like American democracy is ostensibly a good thing. Um, and people like Marjorie Taylor Greene are bad for both parties. They're bad for the country, bad for like civil discourse. But she can't, like even Liz Cheney, and I shouldn't expect any more from a Cheney, like can't remove herself from the partisan mud fight. Or just the fact that I was, was Liz Cheney's vote a secret ballot? It was, it was. Right, so she can't even say like, I think it would have been closer if it wasn't a secret ballot that, that, their names were tied to whether Liz Cheney could could remain in her leadership role. Yeah. Um, maybe just like look around and see that there is a, a a rebellion in your own backyard that maybe is worth a bit more of your time than the radical democratic agenda. Yeah, like she's worried about like Americans getting too much like financial relief mm -hmm. rather than like yeah like her party imploding around itself um, and American democracy going with it. <laughs> Um, if that's all you had from Marjorie Taylor Greene, I want to move on yeah. to a story that we'll probably talk more about later, but we're just seeing little, little, little trails that, um, President Trump will not be receiving, um, intelligent briefings. It is customary for former presidents to receive, um, these briefings after they've left office, but it's not up to President Biden, but he has said that his erratic behavior, even before the the insurrection gave him pause to think about whether he should continue receiving these briefings. Um, so not his decision that lies with the intelligence agencies themselves, but I find it funny that Trump 
would read them after he's left office when I don't think he really read them while he was in office. But I don't think it's a bad idea. Because <laughs> no, he'd sell I that think, information. Yeah, I think it's absolutely necessary that he not have access to this information. And the intelligence briefings that a former president receives are not as comprehensive as the daily presidential briefing that the sitting president gets. It's more of just like a it's a privilege extended to past presidents out of respect. It's, you know, there's only a select few people because our, we always elect very old presidents. Typically, there's never too many of them alive at any given moment. Um, but it's important that former presidents who left office with some modicum of of respect, and, you know, I don't know that George Bush even falls into that category, but to get that information, because when you had, um, you know, you might send Jimmy not anymore, but like back in the day, you might have sent Jimmy Carter, you know, to North Korea to negotiate or like maybe send Bill Clinton somewhere. Like I would not be shocked to see Biden send Barack Obama somewhere to do something. And they need to have like this information like received right. daily so that they can be like at least kind of prepared for such an opportunity. And I don't know that Biden's going to be looking for a lot of advice, but like I think Barack Obama probably consulted with Bill Clinton relatively often you know, on mm -hmm. stuff. I think there there has to be kind of this continuity of information. Um, but Trump kind of breaks that. Like nobody's, you know, except for when Josh Hawley gets elected president in four years, um, nobody's going to be calling Trump to ask, like, what should I do? Like, what's the process to get Or send done? him somewhere to negotiate. Right, to like negotiate. Or be an ambassador. <laughs> exactly. So it's just, it's silly to think that Trump needs mm -hmm. it. And Biden basically said that. And I guess it's good that he kind of stepped back and said, well, the intelligence community can decide, but also like, I don't know that like voters would hold the Biden administration accountable no. if he like takes away Trump's privileges to like this classified information. Because like mm -hmm. you said, it is a national security threat to, for him to have access. Like, of course he would try to monetize it. Yeah, or his children or someone around him who like right. and is capable of making money. And especially considering, um, he has ambitions to run for president again. That hasn't been a problem in right. in the modern in the modern American presidency. You, even with like H. W. Bush, I don't think anyone really thought he would run for president again. Um, so you weren't going to see like a weaponization of that information mm -hmm. in like the domestic political like arena. Right. Right. Um, keeping on with what the former twice impeached president is up to, his election fraud falsehoods have cost the taxpayer, let me calculate it, beep, boop, beep, boop, $519 million. It's gone up since we, 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 we put that number in. Um, these costs are associated with um, the insurrection, inauguration, security costs for states for the insurrection and inauguration, um, and then also legal challenges and security for election officials at the state level. It's all very absurd and it's just, <laughs> It's insane, really. It's like five hundred nineteen million dollars. I, that's that's money that could have spent on the pandemic, on anything else, but but this this contrived scenario of of fraud. And yeah, that's it. Almost too dumb to be true, but yeah, it almost <laughs> it almost is. Yeah, and like you said, that's like kind of a the Washington Post did this story, and it's just like a calculation of like costs incurred by like cities, states and the federal government, most of it is troop deployment to state capitals around the country, as well as in DC, um, kind of in the aftermath of January 6th. But this is, it. it's not really about the money, but this is very damning. Like this, 
just shows how extreme of a situation we find ourselves in. Um, and like one of the costs associated with electing someone like Donald Trump and then like clawing back like democracy from him. Um, it's just not a healthy place to be as a country. And I do think it's good that there's attention being paid to these safety like issues, especially around election security. Um, but it's scary that we're in a place where governments have had to spend so much money with like troop deployments around an election that's not typical um, in like Western style democracies. Um, we like the United States would issue like letters of concern from the State Department if in like the United Kingdom around their parliamentary elections, they had to deploy um, police to like different parliamentary precincts um, to try to keep things safe. And then it just isn't not, it shouldn't be who, it is who we are, but it, it shouldn't be. And we, we have to strive to do better than, than this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Pierce, what's happening with the, the Democratic Party? Yeah, are, so this are, are was, Dems in disarray? Yeah, no, no, because this is this is more of kind of a broad story that I sometimes like to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a it's an Atlantic article titled "Liberals Are Choosing Convenience Over Workers." And longtime listeners will remember back in November um, we talked about Proposition Twenty Two, um, which was passed in California. It was a ballot measure, so everybody voted on it, yes or no, um, and it basically exempts app-based gig companies, so that's Uber, Lyft, like Uber Eats, Grubhub, whatever, from the obligation to classify their workers as employees. And so like people who are like engaged in like a labor market understand that like an employee status is different than a gig worker. Is an employee like has like federal guarantees to like minimum wage, uh, like insurance benefits, like all kinds of things that are so important to like the American worker. And this story basically talked about how, like starting in the 1980s, when Democrats kind of like acquiesced to Ronald Reagan's view of economics in this country. Um, and Connor, we should one day talk about the article that's been floating around for a while that basically says trickle down economics has been a disaster um, for, for countries that have adopted it. Mm -hmm. um, but basically that kind of in the 80s, and then especially with Bill Clinton and his supposed third way, um, like the Democratic Party's approach to labor um, is like fundamentally broken. And so kind of going back to the Prop 22, part of the article said, quote, thanks to various newly created loopholes and exemptions, researchers at UC Berkeley have estimated that some gig drivers will end up making as little as $5.64 an hour, roughly equivalent in value to the minimum wage during the presidency of Harry Truman when adjusted for inflation. Um, that's that's a starvation wage people are not there's no locality in the country where you can live on five dollars and 64 cents an hour um especially in the state of california where it's extremely expensive to live um these this is a broken law and it's indicative of a larger democratic party specifically in california right now but it's a it's a nationwide issue that won't it won't prioritize legislation that prioritizes workers. It prioritizes legislation that gives priority to the people who fund campaigns. Um, and it's just embarrassing to have a state where Democrats have so much power and so much control over the state legislature, the governor's mansion, the courts, 
And this is how we use that power. We use it to make Uber and Lyft make more money for their shareholders rather than lifting up workers and like building an economy that can work for everybody. Um, what do you, what are you, what are your thoughts, Connor? No, you're right. And I had the same thought too. Like, it's just a real, it's a real problem for, 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 for Democrats, especially like you said, in California where there's, it's really just like a, a, a laboratory for democratic policies. I, I might think that if there was one state that could do something about it, it would be California, it'd be New York, it'd be one of these like blue, blue states where you could, you could see these progressive actions take place. And I think it's a bad, a bad gauge of, of national legislation if, if, if California is where it's starting, if this is how it looks like. But I do think there's other pressures outside of California that, that might affect it differently on the national level or even at another state level. Um, I think we just forget that California is so big and just so many, um, I don't know, just, just, just different political pressures in a state like that. Um, yeah, it's the size but, of a country. California, right. in, a, you know, in a Europe style situation or Southeast Asia, style, like California would be its own country. And it has like, a, I think the eighth largest economy in the world. And that's not to excuse them for not getting action done by any means, but it, it just takes some consideration to think about how to replicate a better a better version of this nationwide. Um, so yeah, I, I think Democrats like to call themselves a party of the workers, but sometimes it's it falls very very short. And yeah, the fact the fact that it was companies like Uber and DoorDash. Uh, these like sort of new tech companies really is is a bad sign for how government's policy is being shaped around how to 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 regulate them because people just i i thought of too people just don't understand how how these companies companies operate yeah yeah and the organization in favor of prop 22 was so well funded by these companies and the opposition was just a smattering of like weakened labor unions, like workers' rights groups. Like it was not a fair fight at all. And I, there's no way like a majority of California voters were well informed about like the impacts of this. And I think it's important. I guess you have to do it outside of the party, but to organize in a way where people know what they're voting for. Um, and I think that requires like a renewed approach to unionization, a new approach to labor, like how we, how we view labor, how we respect labor in this country. Cause like demographically, the democratic party is growing like a lot, like our growth is in educated suburbs. It's not blue collar workers. And that's not, that doesn't really fit the platform so much. Cause our platform, you know, talks of, you know, FDR style, um, government programs and yeah, like building an economy um, that can work for a lot more people than it does right now. But if we don't appeal to like blue collar workers and like find their interests, I don't know. I don't know how you keep it all together. Right. And I don't. I feel like there's just a lot of political favor to be gained, a lot of a lot of points to be gained by going after these companies. Because you're not going to have Republic you have Republicans saying a lot, but they're actually not going to to do anything about it at the end of the day. Um, yeah. 
I think there's a lot of lot of lot of room for for Democrats to to gain both political power and favor with with constituents um, in these in these sectors and in these, in these industries as well. Yeah, I just have one more quote from the article. Um, a labor law professor, Vina Dubal, she described Proposition 22 as, quote, the most radical undoing of labor legislation since Taft-Hartley in 1947, which was the Truman era bill that curbed the power of unions and laid the groundwork for the adoption of so-called right-to-work laws across many states. If tech companies ultimately succeed in their quest to export the California model nationwide, they may hasten an even more profound transformation of America's labor market. Uh, and all of this feeds into issues that we've spoken about before, like a, a growing like wealth gap in this country, like you're creating a class of citizens that don't have access to like a ladder to climb through like the social strata and like make a better life for themselves. And that's not a recipe for success um, in any political like system. Uh, and I think more people need to pay attention to how, how the parties interact with labor and like the, especially Republican push against unionization. Um, but even like some Democrats like aren't, aren't as pro-union as they should be in my opinion. And we're not talking about it this week, but also I guess we'll talk about it next week, the results of the unionization vote of Amazon warehouse in Alabama. So yeah, that'll be might, an interesting yeah. thing to tag on. Yeah. Cause just for listeners, um, an Amazon warehouse in, in Alabama, is going to vote this week um, on whether or not to form a union, which would be the first group of Amazon employees to form a union ever, which would give them like bargaining rights and a lot of protections that they don't otherwise have, um, but would be a major loss for um, Jeff Bezos, which would be great to see. Um, so hopefully that goes well. Um, I don't know. I thought this was an interesting article to just bring to people's attention to kind of get them to think. Um, even though I know a lot of our listeners are either like students or adults who are not currently engaged in like a traditional labor market. Like it's, it's a different, different group of people, but I think it's important to think about it for, um, for everybody because it, it affects all of us, how we, how we interact with one another and how we kind of move through um, our lives. Uh, yeah. Okay, Connor, we are ju we're just zooming through today. Quick show. Um, we're gonna, I just wanted to briefly mention what's going on in Myanmar. Um, with some listeners, it's formerly known as Burma. It's a Southeast Asian nation of more than a hundred ethnic groups bordering India, Bangladesh, China, Laos, Thailand. Um, about 50, 54 million people live there. So it's a big country. Um, gained independence from Britain in 1948. It was ruled by the armed forces from 1962 until 2011 when a new government began ushering in a return to civilian rule. Um, but now, as of last week, the military is back in charge and has declared a year-long state of emergency. It seized control um, following a general election where the former leader of Myanmar, um, her party, the National League for Democracy, won by a massive landslide. Um, and the military-backed party um, basically said, no, like you cheated, we need to do it again. Um, a story that resonates here in the United States. Um, and this is more complicated than that, but basically there was a military coup in Myanmar, um, which is a big loss for democracy in Southeast Asia. But um, 
the, the former leader's name is Sue Ki. I believe I'm pronouncing that properly. Um, and her party has some issues. There's, there's ethnic groups in Myanmar that are mistreated. There's a group of Muslims called the Rohingya um, that have been villainized. They've been murdered. It, there's like charges of ethnic cleansing. Um, so there's challenges with whoever's in charge. Um, but I just thought it was important to bring this kind of to the forefront because um, it does matter what happens in these places because Myanmar was seen as kind of a burgeoning democracy and there were hopes that the military would kind of back off, maybe like reassert civilian control over the military. Um, Connor, do you have any thoughts? I know with our international stories, it's hard for us to really um, prognosticate about anything because we're not, we're not experts and, right. and, and it's not domestic politics where we can just give our little opinions. <laughs> right, no, I think it is worrying anytime you see democracy backsliding in any country. Um, including our own, but it sort of follows in the pattern we've seen just more broadly since since four years ago, um, five years ago of, of these sort of strong men um, types of movements reasserting control over the government starting with Hong Kong and now here. Um, the other one being Hungary, um, Turkey. So it's a pattern of nationalistic sort of proto-authoritarian movements in these countries. Um, yeah, I don't know, like we're no experts on like Myanmar politics, but um, to relate it back to domestic politics, there was chatter among the far right fringe, some say Republican voters, um, the QAnon groups, that they were actually upset that, that, that Myanmar got a military coup and like scary. Jealous, I guess. Jealous, jealous. You had a Newsmax reporter walking back his 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 statements about um, denouncing the coup entirely and sort of just saying he has to wait and see what the outcome is. Um, so anecdotal, but important to pick up that these are these are undercurrents within our own polity that that there there's a growing segment of our population, still small, that is not coup averse. Um, right, which is scary and troubling. Um, very, very. Yeah, yeah, it is scary. Um, yeah, but like all of our international stories, I know it's sometimes hard for listeners to connect with why it matters to them. But like, it's fifty-four million people that you know went to sleep one night and they had an elected government. They woke up the next day and their government was not elected and can't not be held say- accountable. Yeah, not to say the Myanmar government was fair and free to begin with. There was a right. The military in their constitution had controlled, I think, either a majority or close to a majority of the houses in the parliament. Um, so it, it wasn't a, a, a complete overthrow, but it is troubling nonetheless. Yeah. No, there were definite definite issues before, but now the issues have become more more salient. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, Connor, news too dumb to be true. I had trouble this week finding something. I came up with a little something. It's really not that funny. Um, But the Wyoming Republican Party on Saturday formally censured Representative Liz Cheney um, because she voted to impeach Donald Trump last month, making the Congresswoman the latest in a string of high profile Republicans punished by their state or local party apparatuses for daring to criticize the former president. Um, Yeah, I think it's bonkers that someone with the last name Cheney faced like formal censure from the Wyoming Republican Party. It's very funny to watch the snake eat its own tail in such a way. Um, yeah, what goes around comes around and 
they all deserve everything that that they get so i don't have sympathy for liz cheney i'm thankful she voted to impeach but she's still um quite horrid of a of a human being um if so, and i think it's genetic 12 12 15 20 years ago if you had told anyone that a cheney and a mccain would be censured by the gop party i don't know what you'd believe i don't know what you what you would have thought would have happened um or i don't know i don't know um not this wouldn't have put any money on this happening but um <laughs> No, it's crazy. And to add to that, Ben Sass as well, Senator of Nebraska, I think he was either voted to or he was censured by his party for, I don't know, something, something. He voted, well, he voted, I think he voted that the impeachment was, was constitutional. constitutional. Right, right. He probably still won't vote to convict. Right, right. Um. So, no, it's crazy that the Republican Party thinks there shouldn't be accountability for the actions of an insurrection. Um. And there's a lot of lot of lip service saying otherwise, but again, their actions speak louder than their words. We'll see who votes yeah. on on. I guess it won't be Tuesday, but um, yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. Happy impeachment trial week, everybody. Right. I almost forgot. <laughs> um, my news time to be true was kind of wrapped up in Marjorie Taylor Greene just being bonkers, um, and the Republican Party centering its own elected representatives is funny. Um, so I guess I really don't have anything to add, but just like be aware, I guess, that the Republican Party is consuming itself in a conspiratorial way that's dangerous, not only for their party, but also just the health of our democracy as a whole. Again, things can be stupid and dangerous and dumb at the same yeah. time. <laughs> they truly can be because that's that's the space we're living in. Um, I guess one more piece of news. We didn't talk about it. Pete Buttigieg got confirmed as Secretary of Transportation. That's big. Um, yeah, he'll be the first um, confirmed openly gay cabinet secretary in American history. Um, so that's huge. He has promised to bring like equity to the department and how it allocates money to states. Um, he wants to work to build a safer, greener, better um, transportation infrastructure in this country. Um, powerful, powerful. I'm excited about that. Um, so I just bring that to everyone's attention as well. Do you have a recommendation, Pierce? I struggled, as you know, as we mm -hmm. talked about this, you know, an hour ago, mm -hmm. <laughs> because we're 20 feet away from each other right now. Um, my recommendation, and this, you know, whatever, you don't have to, watch the Saturday Night Live episode oh, from last night. Yeah. It's, it's on YouTube now. Dan Levy was the host. Um, he's very funny. The skits were funny. They did some Super Bowl stuff. They did some politics stuff. They did some COVID stuff that was funny um it was all very good it was it was one of those episodes where you didn't have a skit and you were just like this is this is bad like please please move on um mm -hmm. it was just very funny from start yeah. to finish and i recommend that that everybody watch it when they get the chance because i think it brings some levity um to our to our present and yeah makes makes the day a little bit better levity yeah le levy levy tea yeah because mm -hmm. dan levy yeah there's <laughs> So you're sharp, Connor. Nothing, nothing gets past you. Huh? Um, okay. Well, that's yeah. Quick episode this week, everybody. Um, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining. Have a, a good. We'll know who wins the Super Bowl when you listen to this. So that's cool. I know everyone Connor, was waiting predictions? for our predictions. Predictions. Yeah. Um, the people of Tampa Bay lose if they gather in groups of ten or more. <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> 
Kansas City is going to win. That's that's where my money is. So, in more yeah. ways than one. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe there actually is a little money on it. Yeah. Um, because yeah, hey, you never know. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. Somebody's got to win. It's got to win. Okay, but yeah, happy Super Bowl, happy impeachment trial, round two week. Um, hopefully, we'll have some big news next week about something. I don't know. Something's bound to happen. Impeachment. Um, impeachment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody.